Welcome to part two of our previous Driven by Prevention podcast episode brought to you by the Merck Animal Health Swine Team. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out part one by listening to the previous episode. And as a reminder, Merck Animal Health is proud to be your invested partner in the industry and is focused on solving your swine disease and reproductive challenges for better business and improved animal welfare productivity, opportunity, partnership, wellness, all driven by prevention. A lot of lab discussion. Now let's move to the farm. How is ileitis prevented? Well, you got a farmer calls you and you've got, uh, he calls you because he's got one dead pig yesterday and four more dead pigs today. So you walk into the barn and you see, okay, you see uh, that pig died from melana uh, and uh, you see other different colors of diarrhea and some diarrhea scattered around in the, in the barn. That tells you already that you're kind of in the middle of a PHE outbreak, that acute porcine hemorrhagic enteropathy outbreak. So you do, you got, uh, that's antibiotics. So you got antibiotics at your disposal. So the most important thing is to find those pigs that have melana or any discolored, any diarrhea, any discolored stool and inject them with an antibiotic. Two common antibiotics to, uh, to use in that case are lincomycin and, and Thailand. Uh, one has a three-day withdrawal, the other has a 14-day withdrawal. But the best for that pig is to treat that individual pig because like I said earlier, you got 50-50 chance that he's gonna live or die if it's melanin. And then, because you're in the middle of an outbreak, you've gotta, you've gotta be aggressive with water medications. So there's numerous water medications that are effective against ileitis. So you, you, choose, you choose one of those water medications. It might be t it might be tilvolosin, it might be tylosin, it might be lincomycin. Um, but you water medicate for at least five days because you've got, like I said, if you've got that much clinical diarrhea, the rest of the, the population is infected. So you treat with water medications at least for five days to control the outbreak. You instruct a farmer to go in there every day and find more pigs that have uh, melana to inject. And then you discuss depending upon how severe the outbreak is, whether you follow up with feed antibiotics. Then after that's all done, you go back and you figure out, well, what is your ileitis control program? Are you vaccinated? So in that, in that scenario, um, that's a real scenario. Um, and uh, no, he's not vaccinating. So then you get him on a vaccine program and then you watch it the next time through because to make sure the vaccine, it, He's got plenty of ileitis. He's got multiple finishing barns on that farm, so it's it's over in the other barns potentially as well. You might want to you might want to treat those barns, but you get him on a control program, a better control program than he had before. Whenever you see clinical ileitis, get, review your control program. Vaccines usually come first. Sometimes it, the vaccine can get overwhelmed, and you might need to have a strategic pulse of antibiotics. But so typically. We had antibiotics in all our systems prior to 2017, so those uh, controlled ileitis. We didn't see clinical ileitis as a nursery problem. We saw it after we used less antibiotics, and it was more so a grow-finish disease. Now if you take out antibiotics in the nursery, you're going to move that disease into a younger pig. 
and you need to be careful with that. That that's what we're seeing. If if we if we take especially if we're not vaccinating, the 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 client will take out antibiotics because that's the talk, and 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 maybe we're recommending it sometimes to see what happens. But if those pigs aren't vaccinated, you're going to have a you're going to have a nursery late nursery diarrhea, similar to the issues that they had in Europe when they removed antibiotics from their nursery diets, then ileitis is going to be a nursery problem rather than a grow finish problem. Okay. What's the best age to vaccinate pigs? The best, the best time is to make sure you get ahead of it and vaccinate before you've ever, ever seen any clinical ileitis, number one or better yet, ever diagnosed any, any shedding. You gotta get ahead of it at least four weeks, four to six weeks before you've ever diagnosed it on that, on that farm. Okay, that's, that's, that's number, I mean, that's number one. Typically, you're gonna be vaccinating anywhere in that, in that nursery stage. If you're using combined vaccines, then you have other things to think about. Are you vaccinating it with Michael? If it's an injectable uh, vaccine, you gotta, you got to time it with your circovirus and your mycoplasma vaccine. So there's other considerations. But typically, if you're given a two-shot program, it might be like at three and six weeks of age because then you can combine it with circovirus and mycoplasma. So you vaccinated. Do you have experience with what you then see on the ELISA test after the vaccination? With the, with the uh, IM Porcellus product, you're going to get a tighter. You're going to get it tighter with ELISA. You're going to get it tighter with IPMA. It's actually a good way to do quality assurance that the pigs were vaccinated because you, you mount an immune response that's consistent. Um, with the oral vaccine, it's not consistent um, for one reason or another. You don't see it on the ELISA, and you'll consistently see it on the IPMA. Typically, the titers are going to be less than 480 on an IPMA titer with, with vac either vaccine. Uh, well, you, well, you were measuring on the ELISA or IPMA, you were measuring the amount of antibody on the blood. So when you think about the nature of both vaccine, one uh, intramuscular, which is uh, induce an immune response or an antibody response systemically, you're going to pick up more on the serological test. On the other hand, the oral vaccine, which will be more administrated uh, uh, for stimulation of the, mu of the gut mucosa, you have um, a less chance, if you will, to pick up on a systemically in terms of immune response and antibody response. That's the, uh, what we think would be the nature of each vaccine would give you a, a different interpretation of, of the ELISAs or the IPMEs. And the, the titers start uh, a, after the pig's exposed to a natural infection or, or an injectable <laughs> vaccine. It, it takes, uh, it, typically it takes at least uh, two and a half, Two weeks for sure. If it's a natural infection, the higher the, the infected dose, the higher the dose that the pig's exposed to, he gets a little bit earlier immune response that, that you're measuring with antibody with the IgG response in the blood. But uh, so you're going to get a you're going to get a tighter response by three weeks for sure in in uh, in uh, 20 to 50 percent, and then by four weeks, 80 to 100 percent typically um, with vaccine or a natural infection. Okay. Now we have vaccines that are administered through water or injection. Uh, what are considerations that producers need and veterinarians need to think about with either one? The, the uh, 
main consideration is that uh, with the oral vaccine, you, you, you have to remove your antibiotics because it's a modified live, um, attenuated, it's passed multiple times to attenuate the, the, uh, the vaccine uh, pathogen, the, the Lawsonia. So you have to remove the antibiotics. Um, the recommendations are to remove the antibiotics uh, at least three days before and seven days after. Frankly, uh, you have to re you need, if you put antibiotics in too early, for example, if you put mechadox in uh, 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 within, uh, within uh, if you put mechadox in seven days after you vaccinate with the oral vaccine, you're gonna, that vaccine will not mount an immune response. So you gotta juggle all these things with antibiotics. If you're, in a, you're doing that in a nursery, that's typically the time that you're gonna be vaccinating orally or with uh, the IM vaccine. You've got all kinds of considerations with other issues in, uh, in a nursery. If you've got a PERS nursery and you're in the Midwest and you've got, you've got uh, PERS positive nurseries or you've got flu nurseries where you're more likely to have water medications and or feed medications in, then it complicates the, the, uh, the uh, timing of the, the oral vaccine to be giving. With the IM vaccine, that is a significant advantage is that you don't have to deal with that. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about what you're using with oral medications in the nursery or what feed antibiotics you have in that nursery. Okay. Today's Driven by Prevention podcast is brought to you by Porcillus ileitis. Post-weaning health is critical to piglets reaching their genetic potential. During this period, Piglets are exposed to environmental, social, and psychological stressors which have effects on gut health and overall performance. Don't water down their potential. Vaccinating with Porcillus ileitis provides protection early and allows pigs to remain on feed and water antibiotics during one of the most challenging periods, post-weaning. Learn more at drivenbyprevention.com. So you have an operation that has an ileitis control program. How do, you, how do you monitor the effectiveness of that program? Do I get up on my soapbox? Yes? You can't go there. <laughs> the, can't go the, the, uh, to monitor the effectiveness of your program is, is, to, is to use those fecal PCRs specifically. You need to do, whenever you're doing herd checks, carry your, your kits with you. Get ready to look for diarrhea. Don't walk by what I call clinical diarrhea and some people call subclinical diarrhea or normal diarrhea because it's walked by all day long and don't think that a little bit of diarrhea is okay. It's not. It's the tip of the iceberg. So check those for sure when you're just doing normal checks. Uh, um, bias your fecal samples like, like Fabio said. Get enough of them, find out if it's ileitis or not. We've got the PCR test is a fantastic test. It's an excellent test. Find out if it's Lawsonia or not. If it's not Lawsonia, then go through their fecal screen and find out if it's, if it's a grower pig, if it's a salmonella. Brachyspira is not so common, but, but uh, we have brachyspiras. Um, e. coli is com common in a 8, 10, 12 week old pig as well. Viruses, got all kinds of viruses. Find out what it is. Uh, um, other than herd health checks, make sure each barn or each site, at minimum, you're doing an ileitis monitor. You go, you go through there and take at least 
I don't know why 30 is the magic number because we don't know what prevalence we're looking for, so it's not enough. <laughs> Fabio just taught us that. But take at least 30 samples, bias those fecal samples in, in, uh, in, uh, towards the end of the finishing period, 180 pounds or more for sure because that's the most likely time that you're going to find it and take 30 blood samples also to find out if they've been exposed. And, and like I said, I like to look at the titers with IPMA. So at minimum, once a year in each, in each site, let's say, check your ileitis program. Because subclinical ileitis and normal diarrhea is overlooked. It's, it's there and it's a cost. It's a three to five dollar cost for, for anything you find in that barn. Here's my favorite oxymoron, is normal diarrhea, okay? There's no such thing as normal diarrhea. And right along with that is another good oxymoron, is subclinical uh, diarrhea. There's no such thing as subclinical diarrhea. Diarrhea is diarrhea. So if you have a little bit of diarrhea, that's clinical technically, whether it's a cowpie diarrhea, grade one cowpie diarrhea, then you've got, if that's at 5% or 10%, then you've got, that's the tip of the iceberg, and you've got subclinical ileitis in that population. That's because the incubation period for this organism is relatively long, uh, from 7 to 21 days. So if you've got to see clinical diarrhea, so if you've got that in some pigs, you've got a lot of the population that has subclinical ile ileitis. If, you're, if your ileitis control program is really in control, when you go out there in a finishing barn and you just want to screen that barn for ileitis, just because it's time to, that, that time of the year to do that, what you want to see is all negative fecals. You don't want any Lawsonia shedding. And you take, if you happen to take blood samples, you want to check antibody titers. Uh, if they're vaccinated with Porcellus, you're going to see some titers. If you see high titers, that means those pigs were infected earlier. Ileitis, it, it, in a population, it's not gonna be there all the time in, from wean to finish or, or from feeder pig to, to market. It's only gonna be there for maybe a four to eight week period. You gotta find out where it is and, and where the problem is. And if, if you're finding uh, positive fecals and clinical signs, go back, review your, your, your control programs and take care of it. Now every operation should have strict biosecurity measures. Uh, are there different biosecurity measures or considerations for controlling Lasonia? Let me just go back on the, I mentioned about understanding the basics of the bacterial, endemic bacterial infection, because when you, st when you start thinking about biosecurity for Lasonia, you gotta understand what is the potential res reservoirs, what is the potential carriers, what are the potential vectors, and, and we don't know almost a very limited knowledge on, on the Lawsonia side about that. So we can talk about all in all out and disinfection and that, but really we do have, and I'm sure Nate have examples of that at herds that very high biosecurity that broke with Lawsonia and we are not quite sure what, how it get there. And, and part of that, because we just don't understand the, the role, for example, of rodents or controls on the on the Lawsonia infection, the, again, quality of water and so forth. So it might be a subclinical animal that went there undiagnosed that can you know, transmit the disease or, or introduce the disease or reintroduce the disease in a, in a farm, but definitely understand the basics 
Rodents are uh, they're certainly mechanical vectors for transmitting huh? Wilsonia. Flies, they're certainly mechanical vectors. They've proven cockroaches are. We don't we don't have cockroaches on Minnesota farms, so but but insects and rodents are mechanical. Fomites, maybe. Yeah. But but we think the 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 uh, just the transmission on, on dirty boots from barn to barn and truck biosecurity. Our biosecurity since PED has improved tremendously. If we really if we it, Lawsonia is not that we think we, it's not likely it's going to come through the feed, and we don't. It doesn't. It's not going to come through the air. So if we just control anything that has potential um, contact with the feces, with with fomites, that's important from a biosecurity standpoint. But also the subclinical subclinical pig, a carrier pig coming onto that that site, whether it's a whether it's a, 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 a wean pig or for sure if it's a two two stage system and you've got separate nurseries and separate finishers, then you're going to bring it on in that uh, feeder pig as well. So just because we think we have PED under control because of our biosecure measures, don't let up on the gas pedal. That's right. Yep, that's exactly right. You'll get. There's plenty of ways to get ileitis on, on with the animal, even if you've got uh, the perfect PED and enteric disease uh, biosecurity prevention measures, measures in place. How long can ileitis remain infectious in the farm environment? That would depend on the type of the environment and specifically more the temperature of the environment that, that Losona can, can keep uh, infectious there. If you think more about uh, Summer-ish temperature that will be between two to three weeks that can become uh, infectious and being able to to be transmitted to a, to a susceptible pig. And how do you know if you've got or you've got ileitis? You've got it's gone through the pigs. You've repopulated. You've disinfected everything. How do you know you've disinfected, sanitized everything good enough? And take that. Well, I can, I can, yeah, I can start, start, and you can expound. You know, it, it's just, it's just typical cleaning and defect, yeah, cleaning and sanitizing and hot water washing and and disinfecting procedures that we always that we always do. So, hot water wash is better than cold water wash. The key is to, uh, uh, is to make sure there is no manure at all and have somebody. Uh, uh, inspect it, inspect it, and make sure that you don't have any fecal matter at all. That's number one. If you use a detergent, and it, and you're, that's better yet. To use a detergent step, uh, rinse it, um, hot water wash it, and then uh, use a disinfectant. Let that disinfectant dry. It should be good. In our research facilities, then we we just take uh, some Swiffer pads and and just try to. If we've done an ileitis trial before, we do a. A trial again after we go through the cleaning and disinfection procedures, then we we just take Swiffer pads and and try to look for it in any high risk corners or areas or in between the slats and just uh, and uh, and try to make sure that they're not positive on Lawsonia PCRs. But I don't routinely do it out in the field. Okay. Yeah, no, there isn't uh, there isn't any unique characteristic of Lawsonia that you have to follow on uh, a disinfectant protocol is just follow the basics, detergents, and, and, and you should be good to go. Okay. What is the role of the sow herd in the development of Lawsonia infection and disease in the downstream pigs? 
That's a hard one, so I'm going to ask oh. Fabio to take that one. Row of saw herds on that. Well, and, and, and uh, one of the, I think the question that with discussions that we have before was that risk factors or any other potential risk factors that contribute for, for a downstream disease on that. And the scenario that we have been discussing is that we have an endemic disease that is, that is endemic on the swine population pretty much worldwide. And, and, and one of the risk factors is that not taking the, the right measurements of preventing that. And the basic risk factor from my perspective is the first, vaccination, right? If you have an endemic disease there, you got to vaccinate for that. Just like we, we, we vaccinate, for example, for mycoplasma, which is another endemic bacteria or, or PCV2, if you will. So definitely the impact on the, on, on, that you're going to have downstream if you don't have the measurements on the south or on the south farm and the measurement of the south farm would start it with vaccination it could be you could have an additional measurement as an antimicrobial system, uh, program to associate with that but definitely the basic bottom uh, basic uh, strategy would be starting with the, with the vaccination mostly because of the endemic nature of of, of the disease on the south herd yeah, all all replacement gilts should be vaccinated for for Iliadis or Lawsonia, uh, but it, they're not. They're not necessarily because some some uh, genetic company just leave it up to the the individual producer and his veterinarian, and it's not uh, it's not an edict down from the top. So some it's we still see and, and we still see uh, even if they are vaccinated, the vaccines don't prevent the infection. They don't prevent subclinical Iliadis. They certainly reduce the shedding. They certainly control clinical signs. They're very cost effective, but you still can overwhelm that vaccine and that's why we see these PHA, PHE breaks in gilt pools and, and sometimes in, uh, in sow systems too. Million dollar question. Can Lasonia be uh, eradicated from a farm? That's for you. <laughs> well, it, I keep thinking that I, uh, I'm not uh, going to retire until we get this figured out. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it can. The reason, that, the reason it can is because we have, uh, we have a couple tools that we're really not using, but we, but we, uh, we, need to, we need to be early adopters and innovators and, and try to get Iliadis to the point where mycoplasma is uh, right now. It's one of the two most common endemic diseases that's ubiquitous in the swine population, ileitis and, and mycoplasma. And we're, we're, uh, we're uh, attacking uh, mycoplasma, doing a real good job in figuring out how to, how to do surveillance and how to eliminate that. And the next step is ileitis. Um, so the reason that you can possibly uh, go through elimination or eradication programs are one, it's a unique intracellular bacteria that if, if a pig's exposed to a natural infection, it's not going to, and, and it's re-exposed again, it's not going to uh, colonize and, and, uh, and, or shed anymore. So that's kind of a unique situation. So again, understanding, uh, understanding how Lausana can get into the farms, it's, 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 uh, it's one of the primary things primary trigger to you know moving to the uh, to the eradication process and then keeping them free right everybody say that uh, we can eliminate it but keeping them free is, is the hard part which is think it would be would be the same path for 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 a scenario 
ileitis will become more and more evident to everybody and we'll be talking about uh, uh, better control programs and subclinical ileitis and monitoring our herds better and eradicating as we eliminate these uh, viral diseases and, and uh, have healthier herds and better biosecurity, ileitis will rise to the top as one of the most important economical diseases that we're dealing with in that system because we're, we've worked on eliminating mycoplasma and, and PERS and who knows, we're going we're, we're to be eliminating SIV and, and uh, eventually uh, we'll be talking more and more about it, uh, eliminating ileitis too. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to learn more as uh, thank you Nate and Fabio for enlightening us on ileitis today. I've peppered you with uh, questions over the last hour. Let's turn it over to the audience with their questions. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Driven by Prevention podcast. Please subscribe for future episodes from Merck Animal Health and learn more about Merck Animal Health at drivenbyprevention.com.